Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 31st of August, and my name is Helen Freer. UBS released its first earnings report since taking over Credit Suisse this morning. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with my colleague Bernadette Andeco. Carsten Menke also joins us and I'll be asking him about gold, specifically in relation to Jackson Hole and the US GDP figures, which came out yesterday. And then Nicola Jordan will give us an update from the CIO office. But let's start with the latest market news. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Helen. So I think we have to start with UBS's historic results that have come out this morning, right? Yes, uh, indeed. Um, UBS this morning posted the biggest ever quarterly profit for a bank in a second quarter. And obviously, this was as a result of its um, emergency takeover of Credit Suisse. The um, 29 billion US dollar gain is a result of an accounting difference uh, between the 3 billion dollar price that UBS paid for Credit Suisse and then the actual value of Credit Suisse's balance sheet. Um, net profit before tax of 1.1 billion US dollars was announced, and this was the first combined UBS Credit Suisse quarterly earnings, which, as I said, were released earlier today. Um, for as a historic point of interest, the accounting gain for the quarter eclipses uh, JP Morgan's 14.3 billion dollar profit in the first quarter of 2021, which until now was the modern record for US and uh, European lenders. Um, another point that came out is that UBS will now absorb the domestic Credit Suisse Bank and drop the brand name. And a merging of the legal entities is expected to close in 2024. But I think there's still news coming out. OK, um, let's look at equity markets more broadly now. It's the last day of the month. How are the main indices faring? Yeah, well, if we uh, look at the US, Helen, uh, the S&P 500 advanced for the fourth day in a row yesterday, um, extending the week's gains to 2.5%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100 has climbed 3.5% this week. Uh, So sounds like good news. But these more recent gains have only partly unwound some of the more broad-based losses that were seen in August. So the S&P 500 is still heading for the worst month since February, whilst uh, the Nasdaq 100 is set for the largest decline this year. Um, Elsewhere, however, though, Treasury bonds uh, traded up, uh, their yields therefore inched lower yesterday, and that was helped by weaker than expected uh, data, as uh, you referred to. US gross domestic product rose at 2.1% annualised pace in the second quarter, which was lower than the government's uh, previous estimate. And an industry gauge of employment also showed that fewer jobs were added than economists forecast and a measure of consumer confidence was also softer than expected. So the data seems to be encouraging markets to believe that the Fed might now pause in its rate hiking and perhaps we are approaching the peak of uh, that process. When it comes to commodities, very quick review, the price of oil erased an earlier increase after ending yesterday with its fifth daily advance. Gold edged higher again, uh, but I'm sure you're going to talk more with Carsten about that. And Bitcoin seems to have found a new level above $27,000 at the moment since this announcement by an appeals court that they were overturning this SEC decision not to let uh, Bitcoin ETF uh, come into fruition. And what about Asian markets overnight? I think we've had more data out in China. Perhaps you could fill us in on the details there. Yep, uh, it is definitely data week. Uh, China factory activity came out this morning. Uh, That shrank for a fifth month in a row in August. The official Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index came in at 49.7 in August. Now, that is up from July's number, but of course, it's still below that key 50 level, which indicates uh, economic expansion. 
And official data also showed that China's non-manufacturing PMI fell to 51 in August. That was um, at 51.5 in July and 53.2 in June. A uh, representative of the National Bureau of Statistics said that the survey results show that there is insufficient market demand, and that's still the main problem that enterprises are facing. And the foundation for the recovery and development of the manufacturing industry does need to be further consolidated. And what was the market reaction like in Asia then? Well, the Hang Seng and the CSI 300 are lower this morning. Uh, Bloomberg News reports that about three stocks declined for every two that advanced on the MSCI Asia Pacific Index, which was uh, little changed. Um, China builders benefited overnight. That included Country Garden Holdings, um, as the cities of Guangzhou and Shenzhen relaxed home purchase restrictions. And shares in Baidu and SenseTime um, also received approval to roll out generative artificial intelligence services, and they both advanced. Um, Hong Kong's market might have been impacted by the news that uh, Hong Kong may be shutting down the city, including the stock market tomorrow, as this uh, super typhoon, um, I'm saying Sciola, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, approaches. Um, The storm has apparently got the potential to be the strongest typhoon to hit the city in five years. Um, Moving across to Japan, the Nikkei was up 1% on the day when I last checked. The topics is in positive territory too. And that's following an announcement that Japan saw its retail sales jump more than expected in July, climbing 6.8% year on year compared with a 5.4% rise that was expected. Um, Unfortunately, South Korea's Kospi fell uh, just under half a percent as industrial production there slid 8% year on year in July, which marks South Korea's 10th straight month of contraction. Okay, thanks, Bernadette. Um, Any other stories to highlight before we move on? Yeah, uh, a few headlines I've spotted this morning that might be of interest. Um, Apple is testing the use of 3D printers to produce the steel chassis that are used by some of its uh, upcoming smartwatches. Um, Over in Italy, the Prime Minister, Giorgia Maloney's coalition, is considering selling minority stakes in selected state-owned companies to boost Italy's public finances, but we're still waiting for more details there. Francois Pino, whose family is the biggest shareholder in the luxury caring company, is apparently close to a seven billion US dollar deal to buy a majority stake in the Creative Artists Agency. And finally, uh, flying us to the moon isn't enough for the Indian Space Research Organization. Just days after they've successfully landed their rocket on the moon, they've now got the sun in their sights and a new spacecraft is being launched on September the 2nd in a bid to study the sun and its effect on space weather. Very interesting. Um, Looking ahead to today, what should we be looking out for? Yeah, well, uh, one thing I didn't mention, European stock markets closed slightly lower yesterday as investors reacted to economic data that we had from both Germany and Spain. So Spain reported flash inflation up 2.6% year on year for August. That was in line with analysts' expectations. While Germany reported a 13.2% drop in imports for the year to July, which is the sharpest drop since January 1987. Uh, futures boards for Europe are mixed today, so we, we might see a bumpy opening and the US futures look a little bit more positive. Data wise, we've got Eurozone CPI and unemployment. The ECB is publishing its account of the July monetary policy meeting. And in US, we've got more data, personal spending and income and initial jobless claims. Busy day. That's it from me, Helen. Very good. Thanks very much, Bernadette, for the roundup this morning. Thank you, Helen. Now, Carsten, thanks for joining us this morning as well. Good morning, firstly. Good morning. 
So we're talking today about gold. Now, at the end of last week, everyone in the gold market was talking about the central bankers meeting in Jackson Hole, but it didn't move the market really, did it? Uh, no, it didn't. You're right. So um, if you didn't knew about the Jackson Hole meeting, you couldn't spot it in the gold price chart, actually. Uh, the gold market didn't react at all to the speech of uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell as he reiterated that the fight against inflation was not over and that further interest rate increases may be needed. The fact of the matter is that this wasn't a surprise per se, but given the determination of the Federal Reserve to bring inflation back to target and the usual nervousness of the gold market in terms of this topic, no reaction at all is somewhat remarkable indeed. Why is everyone so focused on Jackson Hole, do you think? Well, actually, this dates back to the years after the great financial crisis. So essentially, the narrative is that the second round of quantitative easing back in the days by the Federal Reserve was initially introduced at Jackson Hole. And the same is true for the third round of QE. That said, there was never a clear announcement, but rather hints at an imminent change in monetary policy. But this time, obviously, there was nothing of the like. Okay, so gold markets didn't move after Jackson Hole, but they have rallied a bit over mm -hmm. the last two days as we had US economic data that surprised to the downside. What's your take on this? Oh, indeed. So there was some softer US economic data, um, job openings and consumer confidence on Tuesday, followed by this weaker than expected gross domestic product yesterday, which uh, you talked about before. Um, in fact, this, this fits our current assessment of the gold market very well. So the outlook for U.S. growth, inflation and monetary policy is the single most important factor driving gold prices at the moment. And we are of the very strong opinion that recession risks in the U.S. have receded, which is also reflected in financial markets as expectations of a rapid reversal of monetary policy have disappeared. Remember, this is what pushed gold prices up during the time of the banking turmoil in spring. And where do you think we go from here? Um, the market's assessment of interest rate risks has changed again, I would say. So it's now more to the upside rather than the downside. But even in a situation where the Federal Reserve is done raising rates, we do not expect this to lift gold prices. The eventual end of monetary tightening, which we will reach at some point sooner or later, is not enough to lure safe haven seekers back into the markets, which in our view would be needed to restart the gold rally and to put prices on a solid footing. Instead, um, interest rates are set to stay higher for longer and attractive treasure yields are keeping safe haven seekers away from the gold market. This is leading to renewed selling from physically backed products as a case in point. So holdings of physically backed gold products are down around 160 tons from their high in May i.e. after this U.S. banking turmoil, reaching the lowest levels since the start of the pandemic. And we observe a similar downtrend in bar and coin investment, which dropped to fresh post-pandemic lows in the developed world, and which is also losing steam in the emerging markets as well. This sounds like we're still cautious on gold then, is that right? Yes, indeed. So barring no deterioration of the economic outlook that would lead to a rapid reversal in monetary policy, we expect a further fading of safe haven demand. All in all, we thus stick to our cautious view on gold, which means we see more downside than upside for prices. Thanks very much, Carsten. Good to get your latest thoughts on this this morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.
Now, Nicola, good morning and welcome to this morning's podcast. Good morning, Helen. So last week you told us that you weren't expecting any major news to come out of the central bank meeting in Jackson Hole. The information shared was, as you anticipated, limited. What's your assessment of the situation now? Yeah, as you said it, and Karsten mentioned it before as well, the insights were indeed a bit disappointing, to be honest. But long story short, the Fed and the ECB basically said that they will act according to macroeconomic data and will not offer too much forward guidance regarding their next interest rate decision. It seems like Jerome Powell and Christine Lagarde want to leave the door open for a pause in their next meetings in September. They are still trying to navigate this very tricky situation they are in and are more or less forced into a wait-and-see mode. And why is the situation so tricky for central banks? Well, I think the main reason is still the unbelievable strength of the US economy, despite the most radical monetary tightening in modern history. Even residential property, usually the most rate-sensitive sector, has not really flinched. House prices have even started to rise again, despite mortgage rates north of 7%. Then, on the corporate side, for the large companies that make up the bulk of the S&P 500, the sharp rise in interest rates did not have the expected effect either. On the contrary, it turns out that only 6% of their debt is floating and almost half of their debt is to mature only after 2030, which of course limits the effect of rising rates drastically. Additionally, these large companies are sitting on huge piles of cash that are now paying more than 5% when placed in US Treasury bills or other short-dated money market instruments. Now, balancing these stable, low-interest payments on debt instruments with the continuously rising interest income on cash and cash-like instruments shows that the rise in rates by central banks has actually increased total earnings of the S&P 500 companies, leading to a surge in equity markets. Finally, the same goes for households. As they generally have more cash than debt in aggregate, the increase in their debt servicing has also become negligible, especially if they locked in their mortgages for 30 years when rates were low. So are you saying that monetary policy has become ineffective, basically, in these circumstances? Well, I think that's exactly the key question that we and probably also the Fed and the ECB are trying to answer. But for now, we simply don't know yet. And what does this mean for inflation? Well, we have been arguing for some time already that central banks will probably not be able to return to their 2% inflation world and will most likely have to settle around 3% plus due to some significant structural shifts. However, the central banks are still convinced that they can bring it back to the old normal, or at least that's what they are telling us. For our longer-term outlook and our portfolio construction, this of course remains a central theme. I mean, put simply, if one believes in a structurally higher inflation of 3%, equities remain the top pick. On the other hand, if one believes in the Fed's and the ECB's inflation target of 2%, bonds have rarely been so attractive. So for now, we are also somewhat forced into a wait-and-see mode and continue to believe that after a short-term correction in September, stocks will extend their rally into the year-end. Okay, thanks very much, Nicola. Thank you, Helen. So that is all for today. Thanks very much to today's guests and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. 
And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be speaking to more of our colleagues, including Tim Gagey, who will join me with an update on currencies and metals. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.